Welcome to Access Ideas. This is Yana, and today I want to talk about hedonic adaptation, addiction, boredom, and becoming a connoisseur of the ordinary with a little stoic wisdom I borrowed from William Irvine. Like many Canadians, I grew up surrounded by people who complained about weather. Although I wasn't particularly outdoorsy, I started to wonder if the complainers ever got bored of griping. It seemed like such a dreary pastime, and after all, it wasn't going to change the weather anyways. As I've grown older, I've made a conscious effort to become someone who enjoys, or at least appreciates, winter. One of my favorite memes from the past few years says, if you choose not to find joy in the snow, you will have less joy, but still the same amount of snow. There's more to distract us these days from the weather, though. And boredom seems like a thing of the past, or at least it should be with all the devices and gadgets and social media channels that we have access to. Last year, I listened to and reviewed Dr. Anna Lemke's book, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. Lemke is a medical director of Stanford Addiction Medicine and a practicing clinician. And not only did she transform my thinking about addiction, She also made me rethink boredom, but I'll get to that in a moment. Lemke says, because we've transformed the world from a place of scarcity to a place of overwhelming abundance, drugs, food, news, gambling, shopping, gaming, texting, sexting, Facebooking, Instagramming, YouTubing, tweeting, the increased numbers, variety, and potency of highly rewarding stimuli today is staggering. The smartphone is the modern-day hypodermic needle, delivering digital dopamine 24-7 for a wired generation. Dr. Lemke also talks about something called hedonic adaptation, which refers to the notion that after positive or negative events, so something good or bad happening to someone, and a subsequent increase in positive or negative feelings, people return to a relatively stable or baseline level of affect. So this means your mood tends to stabilize to a certain level of happiness or anxiety or calm. You'll tend to notice over time that you have characteristics that you consider your normal or baseline self. Now there's events that really impact this. So reaching an athletic goal, attending a meeting of a weight loss support group, for example, which was in a study, can elicit feelings such as joy and hopefulness. And this thrill of achievement and positivity tends to abate over time. And this goes back to a classic study that illustrates that hedonic adaptation from 1978, this study found that 18 months after winning the lottery, people were no happier than a comparison condition who did not win the lottery. So to maintain boosts in well-being derived from positive events, researchers contend that variety may help sustain positive feelings. And this really clear correlation between happiness and money or winning the lottery and and your happiness decreases, that has been called into question with more recent research. But it's safe to say that we tend to adapt to stimuli that impacts our mood whether positive or negative. Lemke's ideas really made me question this newly acquired habit that I had at the time of what researcher Catherine Milkman calls temptation bundling. 
And this idea is the idea that you're going to pair pleasurable indulgences with a behavior that provides delayed rewards. And this is deliberate to combat bias so that you'll make behaviors that you want, like exercise or eating healthy foods, with more instantly gratifying and feel-good boredom-relieving activity. So the classic example of this from Milkman's study is pairing exercise with an audiobook. And in my case, I would pair exercise with a coffee or a pre-workout drink, listen to music or a podcast. All of that tends to increase our dopamine levels. And certainly for me, it made me feel pretty good. But then when I started to think more about Lemke's hypothesis, I realized if we're getting all of this dopamine cumulatively from layering on these pleasurable activities, eventually over time, we're going to adapt and it's going to take more and more to create that same natural high. Indeed, what I started to notice is that that elation or those feelings of joy and euphoria that maybe I felt from the combined habits weren't quite delivering the same zesty hit of joy that I was hoping for. And so I felt Lemke's research really helped me understand what was going on. So the nature of dopamine is that pain and pleasure are two sides of a balance. Dopamine is popularly known as the feel-good neurotransmitter, but it's a little more accurate to say it's related to our feelings of motivation. Whether we're motivated to do something or avoid something, dopamine is playing a role. Now on a side note, there's some fascinating research about pleasure and pain and how some people actually get addicted to pain or really strong stimuli that might be considered negative to most people, like physical pain and extreme sports, for example. So people who like to compete in marathons to some extent are often questioned, you know, how can you stand the pain? Well, there's the role of dopamine certainly is significant there, but what I'm curious about is where that middle ground lies, and that is the dreaded boredom. So getting back to boredom, the phrase I'm bored to death is so common, although I've yet to see an extreme athlete or daredevil compete in a boredom competition or event. And perhaps the closest we've come to that is David Blaine's 44 Days in a Glass Box hanging above the Thames River in London, England. Around 20 years ago, David Blaine arrived in London and he vowed to suspend himself above the River Thames in a small see-through box made of something called Perspex for 44 days. And he had no food and only water to subsist on, but he made the promise of he would survive. That was the magic act, apparently. And there was no breathtaking feats of strength or illusions, which was what he was known for. But basically, it was a endurance event, a feat of mental and physical strength, presumably intended to stun and astonish Londoners. The initial reaction to Blaine's stunt was a mix of bemusement and a little bit of disgust. And so the sense was, why would you do this? You know, would you run out of oxygen? No. Well, then, you know, what's the real achievement or accomplishment. But I think what made his stunt so disturbing is 
he was basically enduring what most people would consider to be the ultimate level of boredom or pretty close to it. And I think boredom especially horrifies us because we tend to get anxious. Boredom does actually make us anxious. And for much of human history, boredom was treated as a precursor to action. So if you feel bored, you do something about it. And for most of human history, we didn't have digital amusement to turn to. And so boredom is very interesting now because we really have an easy way of getting rid of it quickly, pull out our smartphone or participate in any number of easily accessible events within the touch of a button. But actually what Dr. Anna Lemke recommends is something called dopamine fasting. And so this is something specifically for people who are finding that their preferred drug of choice, whether it's their smartphone or social media or a drug indeed like marijuana, cannabis, to actually go without that, without that drug. Dr. Lemke recommends a 30-day absence trial for her patients, but she actually says that for people who might not have a more severe dependence on whatever habit is they're trying to end, a single day, a couple days, a week could make an enormous difference. For people who feel that their addiction is a little more significant, their dependence is more serious, the 30-day trial might be just the thing. And here's the real barrier is it's not fun. It is, for many people, boring. And we are so conditioned to hate boredom or avoid boredom or escape boredom, whatever analogy you want to use, that it seems almost impossible to some people. I don't know that anybody listening actually needs to give up their smartphone. I, I, I'm not extreme in my views here. I think if you feel that your social media use gives you joy, great. If you feel that your smartphone is not problematic in your life, great. However, I know that there's some people who do feel that they have habits that they might want to change and they are inhibited by feelings of boredom and the accompanying anxiety that arises with boredom. And so today I actually want to turn to an ancient philosophy that you might find helpful Rather than encourage everybody to simply grit your teeth and deal with boredom and get through it, I want to present some useful ideas from William Irvine relating to Stoicism, which is an ancient philosophy. So this is not small s Stoicism, the stiff upper lip, don't feel your feelings. The word Stoicism is often misused in that context, but I'm talking about the ancient philosophy of Rome and specifically using Stoicism and being able to adapt to less than ideal circumstances, including boredom. So just to clarify, the ancient Stoics were not ascetics, okay? They did not think that we should avoid sources of pleasure. They believed, actually, we could partake in delight that the world had to offer, but doing it mindfully, carefully, keeping in mind the danger of becoming enslaved by pleasure, which sounds a little bit dramatic, but hear me out. So, Here's the useful idea. A 21st century Stoic will be careful to distinguish between gourmands, gourmets, and connoisseurs. And this is taken from William Irvine's essay about connoisseurship. And here are a few definitions that will help you reframe 
how you think about pleasure and consumption. So a gourmand is someone who is excessively fond of eating and drinking and has therefore allowed himself to become enslaved by pleasure. And so a Stoic, if you are aspiring to be a Stoic or you like Stoic philosophy, you'd be careful not to become a gourmand because eventually you're not really actually enjoying those pleasures. You're doing them because you feel you can't live without them or you're dependent on them. So again, that would be the dopamine dependence of, you know, I have to consume my favorite junk food every single day simply to get by. So tying back to the idea of dopamine dependence, a gourmand might say, well, I have to consume my favorite chocolates or junk food every single day just to get by, just to get through the day. It doesn't actually bring me a whole lot of pleasure anymore, but that's my minimum requirement. Now, a gourmet is someone who Irvine says has developed such discriminating tastes that he can no longer tolerate anything less than, quote, the best. So many people will be happy to be served beer of any kind, but a gourmet might become quite unhappy on being served just ordinary beer. And such beer, he might explain at length, is not fit for human consumption. I'm sure you all know somebody like this who has refined their tastes to such a fine point that they cannot endure a glass of wine, a common heritage, vintage. They must have the best. And again, if you're aspiring to stoicism or you admire stoicism, the use here is that you would not want to be a gourmet. Why go out of your way to reduce the number of things capable of delighting you? Stoics pity gourmets for having painted themselves into a corner, hedonically speaking. Because of their exceedingly high standards, gourmets can't really take pleasure in quite as much. And there's so much that disappoints them. So they actually live in a state of self-inflicted misery in extreme cases. Finally, this brings us to the connoisseurs. In one sense of the word, connoisseur is synonymous with gourmet. But if we look at the meaning of connoisseur, Irvine says, it is simply a person who knows. A connoisseur of wine knows all about wine. A connoisseur of art knows all about art. And a connoisseur of, say, hot dogs, as he uses as a suggestion, knows all about hot dogs. So although Stoics would avoid becoming gourmets, they would advocate that we become connoisseurs in so much as knowing about something can dramatically increase the pleasure we derive from it. The example that Irvine shares is to try and experiment. So see how much pleasure you can get out of eating a single almond. If you don't have almonds or you're allergic to nuts, you could try a raisin or an apple or something small. If you eat it while watching television, you probably won't experience much pleasure at all. But if you pay attention to the act of eating that food, so if it's the almond, tasting its saltiness, listening for the satisfying crack or crunch, and savoring that burst of flavor, your pleasure is actually intensified. So if you wanted to become a connoisseur, you could even maximize that pleasure by learning about the history of the food. And you could discover that maybe a few years ago, and this is the example that Irvine gives, someone planted an almond tree in the off chance that someone like you would someday want to eat an almond. And so there's this sense that this is beyond ourselves, that our experience of eating an almond, growing almonds is something that connects us. 
It's a shared experience. So to the person who's mindful of this history and the consumption of the almond and what it means in a more global sense, this whole experience can become much more meaningful, almost a minor miracle, as, as Irvine says. So to most people, consumption of an almond is not a miracle, it's just a midday snack. But a Stoic's goal will be to become a connoisseur of everything and a gourmet of nothing. And as a result, he'll find himself living in a garden of delight. Well, I don't know that we can all reach that garden of delight, but I do hope that this has given you a few ideas for what you can do if you're trying to alleviate habits that you know aren't doing you any favors, but you're afraid of being bored. I hope this gives you a few different ideas to also reframe how you see boredom and that there's nothing particularly wrong with you for experiencing a sense of addiction or compulsion around certain behaviors because we all have dopamine dependency to some extent. That's how we survive. Dopamine motivates us to do things that enable our survival. So there's nothing wrong with you for feeling a desire to want to do things that you enjoy. And with that, I'll be turning to Instagram to look for some cat videos to make me laugh. Those are my favorites. Thanks for listening. If you love access ideas, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review us on Podchaser via the link in our show notes or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about the podcast too. Until next time, thanks for listening to Access Ideas.